Hey everybody and welcome back to another Ruby Rogues. Uh, this week's panel we have James Edward Gray from uh, Northern Oklahoma. We have Peter Cooper from uh, Great Britain. I forget where exactly. And we have special guest Wynn Netherland from, uh, from Texas. Uh, introduce them real quick. Uh, James is a longtime member of the Ruby community. He's uh, contributed a lot of things. I think uh, the two things that he's best known for are Ruby Quiz, Faster CSV. He's also written a few books like the one on TextMate. Uh, Peter runs Ruby Inside, um, Rails Inside, Coder.io, uh, Ruby Flow, and probably a few other things that I'm missing, the newsletters, uh, Ruby Weekly. And uh, Wynn is new to the show. He is uh, one of the hosts of the Changelog podcast. He's also writing a book on SAS, and uh, so we're, we're excited to have his, his input on, on the topic at hand today. Today we're going to be talking about templating languages, uh, things like ERB, Haml, Mustache. Uh, we're probably going to dig into SAS and SCSS. Uh, we might even get into CoffeeScript, who knows. So uh, I'll go ahead and uh, stop the podcast, or stop the music, and we'll, we'll jump in. Um, How's it going, everybody? Excellent. Totally awesome. Going well. All right. Good to hear. Um, let's go around real quick and see what you guys are using as far as templating languages. Um, I'm interested in not just HTML, but let's hear about uh, CSS and if you're using anything like CoffeeScript for your JavaScript or anything. So uh, we'll go ahead and start with uh, James. Okay. So I use ERB for my HTML for two reasons. Uh, one, that uh, when I first got into Ruby, I got in by documenting standard libraries, and one of the very first libraries I ever documented was ERB. So I like know it very, very well and, uh, and use it pretty much all the time just because I'm very used to it. Um, so I typically use ERB. I've played around with some things like mustache and stuff, and I can see some advantages uh, to them, but uh, also some, some things I don't like about them as well. Uh, and the second reason that I mainly use the RIB all the time is I freaking hate Hamill. So uh, <laughs> those, are, those are my two reasons. Um, then let's see, uh, as far as like CSS and stuff, you know, I'm not generally the guy that writes the CSS for a project, so I'm probably not the right person to ask on that. When I do, I, I usually just edit. Um, CSS, I've definitely looked at SAS a little bit, and I think it's great, uh, actually, because avoiding the repetitive nature of CSS and just introducing, you know, some, some nesting and variables, I think that's very worth it. Um, I, I haven't really played with CoffeeScript. I, I get by okay with JavaScript, uh, so I, I guess I haven't really felt the need for it. Uh, but I haven't played with it, so I can't say too much about it. All right. Sounds good. So you're too smart for the front end stuff and use ERB for your HTML. I use ERB for my HTML and I think it's I'm too dumb for the front end stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Wynn? Is he too smart or too dumb? I think he's too smart. Too smart for sure. <laughs> I, on the other hand, use Haml uh, for my HTML stuff just because I like dealing with CSS selectors and found that uh, um, I think Jeffy Grossenbach said something that uh, I think a lot of us have been thinking for a while of uh, HTML and SAS allow you to kind of remove the distance between the content and the, uh, the styling. 
so that your markup in Haml closely resembles your CSS selectors in SAS. So I use the indented syntax for SAS as well and uh, have picked up CoffeeScript lately using that in a lot of titanium projects especially. Haven't done it for much uh, web stuffs yet just because um, uh, debugging the JavaScript still has a little bit of over overhead uh, in that development process, but in the mobile uh, area and titanium especially, I think CoffeeScript has been a huge productivity boost. Uh, I am using Mustache as well, um, mostly in web stuff with uh, in Ruby projects when I need to turn templating over to end users because it's a nice, safe way to do that, plus it resembles the uh, Tumblr syntax that people are familiar with. All right. Um, Peter, go ahead. What are you using? In the real world, I'm uh, yeah, I'm pretty freaking dumb um, if we're comparing to... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, James, um, because yeah, I'm kind of like often all over the, the front end stuff because I'm just one of these kind of like really want to nail that and get it right um, kind of guys, I guess. Um, but I'm pretty much using ERB for everything as of now. Um, this is probably something I'll get to later, but uh, some of the research for this um, podcast is actually making me actually want to try some of these other things uh, a bit more than perhaps I have in the past where I've kind of written them off. So uh, that might be a bit contentious. Um, but yeah, I'm also using uh, SAS, which um, I've pretty much, well, actually, I say SAS, but like the SCSS version, you know, the version that looks more like CSS rather than the, the Hamel style uh, one. I've been using that a really long time. Um, I just really love that just because I, I love working with CSS. So I'm one of these people that, you know, if anyone sort of has a problem with a CSS, they often sort of ask me on IRC or whatever, like, oh, how do I solve this weird bug or whatever? Because I don't know, just like about CSS, I just really like. It's like people who, you know, tinker with old cars or whatever and kind of know all the, the little things. And I just kind of like really love playing with that. So, um, but I just love the way that SCSS just kind of allows me to kind of just do the stuff that I was doing before, but then just kind of clean up small parts of it. Um, it's not a radical change um, to the formatting. It's just adding a few extra things in. So I'm using that. Um, not using Compass um, or anything like that with it. I just found that I tried it, and I just found it a bit too complicated. I like the full control over the CSS. Um, other than that, I'm not using CoffeeScript yet. I've been playing with it kind of as a separate thing, but not using it actually in any apps. Um, and then I guess the only other thing I'm really using would be uh, Markdown on top of all of the above, um, you know, for uh, sometimes doing for blog posts and things like that, which, uh, yeah, I've played with textile as well, and I wasn't too keen on it, so uh, Markdown seems to work for me. So, uh, yeah, pretty basic so far, although I do have opinions on the other things because I have to research them nonetheless. All Plus right. 5,000 on Markdown. Yay, Markdown! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds super. Uh, what I actually use on my stack is... Uh, I've been using Hamel. Um, I actually started using Hamel like a month ago, and I just tried it out, and it was like, I'm never going back. Um, and then I switched over uh, to using SAS. Uh, I, I tried out Compass, and it was the same thing. It was just, oh, this is so nice. I can hook my, um, my what is it, where, where you have the columns? <laughs> the grid system. I can hook my grid system into it, and uh, then I don't even have to think about it. And Which grid system are you using? Um, I've been using the 960 grid system. I'm thinking about switching over to Blueprint. Uh, <gasps> Blasphemy. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I was introduced to the 960 grid system when I was working for a lead gen company a couple of years ago. And uh, I've just kind of been using it because that's what I'm used to. And honestly, the only reason that I would switch is so that I don't have to go through the... The, it's a minor headache now because I know what I'm doing, but uh, I don't have to go through the minor headache of setting it up every time. 
uh, I, I start a new project. But I have been uh, playing with CoffeeScript. I haven't actually used it on any of my existing projects. I'll probably use it on the next one that I start. Um, but uh, I played with it. I played with it in Rails 3.1, and it it Rails 3.1 kind of makes it dumb simple to use. And uh, it, it's totally worth it, in, in my opinion. Um, with Compass, I actually use SAS. I don't use SCSS. So uh, that, that might be something to discuss. But uh, anyway, um, so yeah, I'm in love with my Hamel. So since I'm horribly outnumbered here, I'm going to treat this as an episode of Ruby Survivor, where my goal is to get voted <laughs> off the island. And uh, I just wanted you guys to know I just did a Google fight between ERB and Hamel. Looks like about 720,000 results for ERB, a little under 40,000 for Hamel. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah, but there's like a million for Britney Spears, and there's only about 500,000 for you. So who's winning there? (laughs) (laughs) Go on, the fight fight begins. That's right. That's awesome. So, Peter, you said um, you don't like textile, and I totally agree, and I love Markdown. So uh, how, how come you don't like textile? I can't remember why now. I mean, the thing is, I made this decision, um, I must have been almost about two years ago now. I sort of, I kind of avoided it because, as I said, I love HTML and love CSS and everything. So I was always doing everything in HTML. And um, yeah, I thought I better try one of these languages because a lot of people seem to be submitting blog posts to me in, you know, text, uh, textile and, um, you know, Markdown or whatever for Ruby Inside and stuff like that. So I thought I better play with them. Um, I ended up kind of liking the idea, tried textile. Yeah, just didn't get on with it, but I can't remember why now. So you might be able to elaborate on that kind of thing because it sounds like you perhaps have harbor more of um, a, a direct opinion on it. Yeah, I've tried textile a couple of times, and I guess I find that if I need a simple, you know, easy to translate to HTML language, the markdown's awesome because it's just like how I write an email or or whatever, which is you know actually how it was designed, of course. Whereas if I need something more complicated then I don't want to go to textile. I just want to go to HTML um, and and handle it that way. Uh, whereas with textile, I'm always like, okay, how would I do a you know a paragraph with a class or to give it the right ID and all that? Or it's like, or I could have just been using HTML and I would have known, you know. So that sounds uh, about right. It sounds like we kind of think in HTML perhaps a bit more than um, perhaps the other guys do. I'm so glad you said that because that's actually. Uh, the reason that I, I don't like Hamel at all is um, I, I don't understand the problem that it's trying to solve. The, uh, Not having to search for a closing div tag ever again. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a failing with your editor. It's it's not a it's not. No, because it might not be that you wrote the div tag. That's that's what convinced me uh, to make the jump to Hamel years ago was someone leaving a uh, div tag out of a partial that I'm consuming that I didn't write and then my whole layout's jacked. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and and the other thing is is it's not just, you know, leaving the div tag out. It won't tell you which one you didn't close. So right. it's it's really it, it's really a headache. It, it's like when you get like eight ends at the end of your Ruby class. I mean, that's a headache too. You might you should be using white space and things to um, to separate them so that it's easier to tell which one's which. If if you have like four more than three or four in a row, and uh, yeah, so for me it's not just which div tag did I close, but it's you know where the heck is it? I don't have to worry about it. It's the same with ends when you're in your views is you know if blah blah blah, and then you just put whatever in there and it closes it for you. 
You know, it's also, I think, telling of what technologies would you give up first, right? Um, I would give up Hamel way before you would pry SAS out of my fingers. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. So I feel like you guys kind of answered some of your own questions there in that, um, you know, as far as a missing uh, div, you know, there are tools to handle things like that, like, you know, indention and stuff and making sure it's there. And then also, uh, when mentioned collaboration, but how many people know Hamel versus how many people know HTML? That's true. And every project, I think, is different. Um, the, and even the tool chain that I use from project to project is based on who's participating. Um, I think I straddle designer developer more than most. So a lot of times I'm working on both sides of the fence. And if I have a project where I've got heavy designer input, then I've got no problems doing something in HTML or ERB or uh, one of those things. But if I'm controlling it soup to nuts, Hamel works for me because um, it's not only just uh, the closing div tags and the CSS structure. The other thing that I like about it is it's far less escaping between Ruby and markup. I mean, just with one equal sign, I'm now in Ruby mode without having to constantly be reaching for that percent key. Uh, the other thing is, just by nature, uh, Hamel encourages short, terse um, outputs. So it fosters this uh, architecture of putting more into helpers or more into other partials and not having these big monstrous views in the first place. Yeah. One, one other thing that I really like, and it, it's something that you can do in HTML, but uh, Hamel, it, it formats, it does all the indenting for you. I mean, it's dependent on the indenting, but you know when you get the overall HTML out of it, it's all properly indented too. And so when you include a partial, that just gets nested with everything else. And, and that's another thing that I really like because when I'm digging into the actual HTML source, it, it, it cleans a lot of that up. And the other nice thing is that um, I found that the percent or the dot or the hash in front that tells me that it's a tag, a class, or an ID, um, that's a whole lot easier for me to parse than to try and figure out what's inside the triangle braces and, and try and go, okay, well, what attributes does it have? And, oh, it has this ID and it has this class and blah, 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 blah. I can just glance at it and get a real good idea. Uh, I, I guess it's just faster for my brain to parse that way. I also use the inline filters quite a lot of... Um you know, Chris Epstein, the guy that created Compass, had a blog post um, maybe a couple of years ago now talking about how Hamel sucks for content. And I would agree, if I'm doing a lot of text generation, I'm going to go to Markdown or something else. But the beauty of Hamel is I, if there's another format that I want to use, I just put a colon in the, the format name and then indent under that, and now I'm writing Markdown. Hmm. I didn't know that. I'm going to have to check that out. So when you mentioned that um, you have used Mustache, uh, in a couple of scenarios, and I, I think I pretty much agree dead on with your uh, usage of it. Is I like it when when I need a safe templating system. But if I don't need that, I do prefer to stick with ERB because I prefer that like Ruby behavior of being treated like a grown up. Uh, would you agree? I would agree with that. You know, mustache is kind of like safety scissors. Um, it's almost like liquid that doesn't suck. If you guys remember liquid um, right. that came out of Shopify and not to throw stones at great work that Tobias and those guys did uh, on liquid. It's just liquid is one of those formatting languages that my brain just did not grok. Um, I have to totally agree with that. Isn't it what Jekyll uses under the hood? Right. And mm -hmm. I can't stand that. I just ended up uh, debugging a static site. Uh, we checked out the other day and it, it turned out to be because 
when I was assigning these dates uh, into liquid variables and then comparing them, they were not comparing as I expected. And I ended up having to use it's it's got this like capture syntax where it can render something out and put the contents of that in a variable. And once I changed it to do that, even though it was basically the same thing, it, it started working and, and it was like a thousand times uglier. So I totally agree that Liquid does not do it for me. Yeah, when I'm using Mustache on the client, a lot of times um, I've switched over to using uh, Handlebars from Yehuda. So Handlebars is basically Mustache++ plus plus or Mustache JS++. Plus plus. Um, it allows deep traversal of objects. One of the, the things that's um, kind of cumbersome about Mustache, at least in the JavaScript port, is you have to build partials at every level that you want to consume in an object. But uh, Handlebars allows you to traverse an object and pick keys off as you walk down a really deep object graph. That's another kind of cool advantage of those types of systems is that um, you can use some library in Ruby or uh, and then some library in JavaScript and basically have similar templating in both places. For sure. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds nice. It, it would also be nice to be treated like a grown-up. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. So, Peter, you said you were you were interested in trying out a bunch of the new stuff you looked at. What what are some examples? Um, well, I must admit, I've, I've, I did try Hamel like when it kind of first kind of like started becoming popular. I think that was a good couple of years ago now, uh, sort of before uh, Hampton sort of passed it on to uh, other people to work on. And yeah, I just didn't get on with it just because like you know some of the problems that you've already mentioned already and yeah it just didn't uh, I just couldn't grok it I couldn't get my head into it it seemed like a, a sharp curve so um, yeah as time's gone by there's been kind of like arguments on Twitter and like you know people like Obi have weighed in and Pete Ford and like all these kind of like Hamill uh, you know uh, proponents um, and you know I've sort of been like you know okay I see why some people like like this stuff and you know I this is kind of like why I don't but okay, everyone can use what they like. Um, but then, you know, things have happened over time, and there's been things like that, um, like was just mentioned, like you can embed other uh, formatting languages into um, Haml. Um, I don't think that was around from the start, so when I was trying it the first time, um, that's kind of cool. Um, but then obviously there's Slim, which um, I believe we were going to sort of briefly cover as well, um, by I think Andrew Stone, I think it's by, um, which is basically like he's taken, you know, literally the idea of Haml and, Kind of almost ripped it off. Um, actually, I should probably take that back. It's pretty liable. Um, but uh, yeah, he's basically you know he's been influenced by it heavily. Um, but he's kind of claimed to have made a, a version that's similar to Hamel, but it's a lot faster. Supposedly, I've heard arguments against that as well. Um, but with a slightly nicer uh, formatting to it. And I've you know and that's also encouraged me to go back and look at Hamel and think, well, hang on, how is Hamel um, different to it? And you know, it's it's not that massive a difference um you know it's just really like tiny little things like you know certain uh you know bits of uh, sort of uh, extra you know syntactic sugar or whatever you want to call it uh you know to like collapse the white space and things like that little characters you have to add in to get those kind of features um you know really small things so i think just the fact that there's this discussion going on has kind of encouraged me to go back and look at these things and just reassess my opinions um, two years on and with, you know, a lot more development and a lot more maturity um, of the technology, um, you know, sort of under its belt. Um, it's time to look again, as it were. It's a good point. I haven't used Slim at all. Have uh, Chuck or Wayne, have you guys used it? I have not. I haven't either. I've, I've heard about it. I've heard some people saying that it's superior to Hamill. Uh, I doubt it. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm a Hamill fanboy. 
Awesome. You don't have to use the percent signs. I mean, that's one big thing that they mention. Um, so literally, you literally like if you just type anything by default, it's a tag. Hmm. Um, and so then you have to kind of like nest things in a certain way to like if you don't want to have a tag. But everything is treated as a tag because I mean in HTML, you know, everything is within a tag at some level or another, at some depth or another. Um, so I think he's kind of assumed, okay, right, the default should be that anything you type in is a tag. Um, and then things have to be formatted, especially if they're not. So, um, yeah, the example, I think it's if you go to slim-lang.com, uh, they, it sort of has, you know, a bit like the Hamill site. It has a, a basic demonstration on the front page. And I've got to admit, I, I think they do pick their examples carefully, these kind of sites. They're like, mm -hmm. you know, let's pick something that looks really appealing. Like, you know, this is going to make you fall in love with it straight away. And, you know, the Slim site is no exception. If you go to that, you know, slim-lang.com, uh, the example on the front page is quite attractive, um, mm -hmm. even to someone, you know, who's perhaps into HTML like I am. Um, I can kind of see where it's going. But... It's not until you start using some of these things and you have like complex bits of like you might want to get a certain type of iterator involved or something like that, um, then you can't start slamming into the, the learning curve. Um, so, you know, looking is nice, but uh, yeah, it's, it's the using that is the proof of the pudding. One of the things I'm struggling with is just how all of these templating languages that I love, Hamel and the indented SAS and then CoffeeScript, they're all white space aware, yet I'm still not in love with Python. Yeah, I... I agree, and I'm not sure what the difference is, to be honest. I'm very glad I didn't have to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't have a lot of experience with Python, but still, you know, yeah, I mean, SAS and, and Hamel, at least, are, are white space aware. CoffeeScript is, but yeah. So I, I actually, uh, I, I've never run into problems with... Python's white spacing, uh, just because I am one of those very meticulous persons. And like, whenever I stop to think, you know, everyone has their nervous tics that like they do. And whenever I stop to think, mine is to obsessively clean code. So I just sit there and line things up and, and put them beautifully and stuff. And so I, I've never actually made Python mad or, or gotten it to where, you know, it's a uh, indention didn't work. Uh, but I could see how that could happen. Yeah, it just seems like that's one of the arguments that people throw out uh, against Hamel and and some of the others, is that they're like, well, it has the the white space, the required white space, and you know, and then they get all uh, upset about that. And you know, to me, it's it it's really not the 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 discussion. It's you know, it it's the other aspects of the tool that make it what you want or don't want. The white space is the least of Python's problems. <laughs> right, right. It's the passing self everywhere. Yeah, functional <laughs> method. So it's harder to make a, uh, I guess, a convert of a non-believer in Hamel, uh, just because it really doesn't add anything to HTML that it produces. But in the case of CoffeeScript and and SAS, right, you're adding language features that just don't exist otherwise. And CoffeeScript yeah. spits out just plain JavaScript, uh, but it's not a one-to-one -one correlation. If you've ever dealt with CoffeeScripts comprehensions and just the way that you can uh, initialize object literals without having to uh, mind braces or semicolons. It's just, it's amazing. But isn't that kind of part of the problem of CoffeeScript? And I admit I have horribly low experience here. Isn't the problem that because it does compile down, doesn't it, doesn't it kind of add a pretty hefty debugging pain layer there? It depends on how you architect it. Um, in my Titanium projects, I've, I've yet to find an issue where I found... Uh, you know, um, an error in my JavaScript and not knew 
instantly where that was coming from in the coffee script. Okay. Um, what might be coming in the future, talking to Jeremy and those guys, uh, is kind of like what they've done in SAS to include the uh, commented version in a development mode where every line says it comes from this line of the source so the debugging tools can then kick in kind of like a fire query um, or uh, fire SAS, uh, for example, kicks in for uh, Firebug so that you can see uh, what SAS files your CSS came from. Those same tools, are, I think, will evolve for CoffeeScript. One of the other concerns I've had with CoffeeScript, and again, I'm speaking from low experience here, so this could be ignorance on my part, but uh, is the need to always have a JavaScript runtime pretty much in the environment. You know, yeah, uh, unfortunately, that's a that's a dependency. But I was thinking about that the other day. How just what a cool language it is, right? And it would be nice if it could compile down to other languages, you know, regardless of where you wanted to run. It's kind of like the inverse of the .NET framework, where you got C sharp and VB.NET compiling down to to one runtime. Run and it would be nice to have one language that could hit multiple runtimes. Yeah, that's true. So, um, yeah, and. and you know, I think we hit the the arguments that I've heard about against CoffeeScript, and that that being mainly that uh, you know people are concerned about adding that layer of complexity. And yeah, in my experience, you can generally tell what part came from what part. There's an interesting thing I saw in the in the uh, RailsConf uh, stuff that's been coming out. The new implementation in Rails uses Tilt under the hood, which Rails doesn't use for its views yet. I don't think, but will soon and that's kind of a cool gem that that lets you know supports a whole bunch of just different uh uh templating languages and uh, it looks like rails is going to move over to that and if it does it's kind of a neat move to make it easier for people to use whatever they want in templating so i love tilt tilt t-i-l-t right correct just taking notes for the show notes <laughs> that's how um, that's how sinatra uh, handles its views Right. And and that's another thing that I'm kind of curious about. Um, and I know, well, I've heard that uh, Peter does a bit with uh, Sinatra as well. And, and I'm sure you guys have used it. Um, it. Have you seen much difference as far as, you know, using a templating language in Sinatra versus Rails or, you know, Padrino or some of these others? Or are they pretty Not much me. the same? No. No. Um, I know some people do templating in Sinatra. Some people try and, like, cram it into the actual... Um, file when they're doing like a small single um, you know single page script um, sorry single file script but I never kind of bought into that there's something about that I just, I just don't like it I like everything split out into separate files so uh, yeah never used that so other than that no I've, I've actually found it very very similar to Rails other than the fact that you know Rails takes uh, care of a lot of some of the defaults and things like that but uh, yeah if I just want to say ERB and then you know colon whatever um, it's going to render it and I just work in a very similar way I guess I, can, I kind of almost recreate a, a Rails-esque kind of feel um, you know if I'm going to make something a bit bigger in Sinatra which I've done um, yeah I just kind of steal ideas from Rails so uh, and that's that's really sad to admit that but there you go you know when Heroku came out and the read-only file system I think is when I made the jump to decouple my assets from the actual um, framework. And now Rails 3.1 might change that, but there was so much uh, pain trying to get uh, SAS built on Heroku because it was trying to build the CSS files out uh, to the public folder, and that's not allowed in the Heroku file system that you had to jump through hoops to config that uh, out of there, that I went to a workflow where 
would crank up a watcher and now guard and it just watches my assets folder and anytime anything changes it runs it through the appropriate preprocessor and it's just you know a static asset i deploy yeah. so that's kind of a that's kind of a great point so what you're saying wayne is you you edit in the languages you want to but in the meantime they're being built as these final files and that's what you end up pushing basically that's right and that way the first person to hit the side after you know it goes to sleep isn't having to pay for the asset generation that you know hasn't changed since I've done a build. But the only downside to something like that is collaboration, right? Because they don't have the files that you have. So yeah, well, just part of the deploy process, it would compile those one more time. Right, compile them one more time. Gotcha. Yeah, and and that's one thing I, I wasted about a half hour of my life trying to get a Rails three point one app to run in. Um, on Heroku and I was using CoffeeScript and yeah, that just, it didn't fly. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely an interesting, uh, I, I think it's an interesting thing that they're going to either have to handle one way or the other on Heroku. Um, you know, I, I would assume that you can also put in some, uh, Git hooks to, to build those. For sure. You know, and another aspect of CoffeeScript that I absolutely love for titanium is, uh, with titanium, there's, something called a, a context, so something analogous to a window in the browser where it's basically a JavaScript scope. And any context, you have to include all of your JavaScript source. So if you have 10 files, it's uh, 10 JavaScript includes to include that uh, in that context. Um, one of the things I absolutely love about CoffeeScript is it has a join uh, argument that you can pass to the coffee compiler. So I can, I've got literally dozens of coffee source files and essentially every view in titanium is its only it's its own factory view it's essentially one method in a in a namespace that i've defined that returns a view but during the compile process all of that gets compiled to exactly one javascript file and that way all of my contexts only include one file and i'm done oh nice yeah the the rails 3.1 you know does the same kind of thing when it compiles it compiles all of your coffee script files into one file and then you get application.js and that has everything in it, including jQuery. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's really nice. Very cool. So other templating language? I, I use Builder. Uh, do you guys ever use that from Jim Wyrick to do XML? Oh, all the time. Yeah, me too. I really like that, Jim, actually. I just, I don't know. It fits, uh, it's like a perfect Ruby to XML translation, in my opinion. I don't always use XML, but when I do. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I don't use it very much either. That's true. I used to, and I switched away from it, actually. Um, I switched to actually using ERB for generating XML, which I know is uh, probably a little bit sacrilege, but uh, it just feels nicer to me. Again, it's, it's, it's almost like taking that um, HTML Hamel argument just to, like, to an even further extreme. Like, I just wanted to write the XML, so, um, yeah, that's what I do. Um, I'll tell you I what ERB is I, great I forget for. the format. Tell you what ERB is great for, and that's if you're building Ruby gems that include assets that have to be um, uh, dynamic based on input in the generator. ERB is a fantastic way uh, to do that, where you can have class files that unfurl themselves based on user input. That's cool. Yeah, and and I have to point out that uh, our ERB champion here uses Builder on his XML. I do. I was just thinking that when Peter said that. that, that, that uh, <laughs> That was me on the other side, but I don't know why. I, I, whenever I mess with Builder, it just feels right to me. I guess I'm the way the Ruby blocks nest and stuff mirrors the 
structure of the HTML, and it, it just fits my brain well for some reason. Just yeah. like Hamill does. Yeah. Just like Hamill. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> God, you guys have converted me. I'm going to go right out and switch. Yeah, why don't, why don't you stick to your builder and leave my Hamill alone, dude? <laughs> You'll have to. I can't read it. <laughs> but you, you could make HTML with Builder, couldn't you? You could, yes. Uh, I would assume so, yeah. That yeah. could be interesting. Yeah, for some reason I don't ever do that. I don't know. That's a, that is interesting. Yeah, I'll go and do that. Mark as well. Yeah. What did you say? There was Markaby as well, wasn't there? Um, which was similar-ish. Right, yeah. There was a, there were a few libraries kind of along that. Um, you mentioned Markaby. Uh, Era T. Howard had one called Tags, I believe. T-A-G-Z. Um, and uh, it was kind of similar along that. But I, I never got into any of those. I think those maybe were intended. Their intended use case was kind of... Um, if you were doing the short Sinatra, like like Peter was talking about earlier, so you could just kind of throw a little bit of Ruby syntax at the bottom of the method and and generate some workable HTML. But yeah, you know, I I never find myself needing. So, have you guys seen Zappa? Huh. So Zappa is essentially um, it's a Node framework built on on top of um, Express and Node.js, but it also includes um, Coffee Cup, which is Markaby for CoffeeScript. Huh. Markaby wow. for CoffeeScript. That yeah. might be interesting. So in JavaScript to make it... Now, see, in JavaScript, I think I would like a, a nicer way to generate HTML. <laughs> I just checked out, actually, Ruby Toolbox, and Erector is, the one, is one, sort of, one of the top ones that we haven't mentioned at all, but I've never used that. But uh, apparently it's inspired by Markaby, but overcomes some of its flaws. Well, the biggest flaw for Erector was probably the name, and I'm not meaning that uh, <laughs> funny, but seriously. I, I think was, that's a plus. <laughs> I was involved in that uh, the project mailing list early on in that project, and there was quite the dust-up around the name. Some folks took uh, offense to that name, and I, I think it may have even uh, you know, dampened a lot of the enthusiasm for Erector when it came out. Well, are they five years old? Well, <laughs> We're getting I've old. Never, I've never used it. Yeah, I haven't either. I, even I never heard use my erector. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're going to complain about this podcast at least. That's right. Uh, All right. So is that our is that our final word on uh, on templates? I think so. I you know we we have just enough time to uh, we we usually take about twenty minutes on the picks and we have about twenty minutes left. So yeah, I was about to call it and wrap it up. So. Uh, Let's go ahead and uh, jump into the picks this week. Uh, we're going to go ahead and let Peter go first. Yeah, I've pretty much got one. Um, nice, nice, simple, quick one. Um, I was watching the DHH uh, keynote the other day live. Um, I don't know if you guys were at all, but uh, that was quite fun. Um, I didn't I even realize. Your, I watched your live stream of it, Peter. All right, cool. <laughs> I think I, I think there was something broken about that with the, the caching on WordPress. And like, I was like, hang on, this isn't updating. But uh, yeah, I guess it worked out in the end because everyone seemed to uh, like it. So uh, yeah, so no, I was watching that live and live blogging about that, and uh, then eventually, like literally within a couple of days of uh, you know all of that, literally yesterday, I guess they released several videos onto YouTube um, on the O'Reilly channel on YouTube, which you can link up. Uh, and there's a few different. Um, presentation on there's like uh, Greg Pollock doing the um, Ruby Heroes, which I think Michael Hartle won one, and yeah, a few other people, um, you know, for like documentation work and stuff like that. 
um, Lassie Daycock, I think, for some RVM work. Um, so that was kind of cool. Um, but I guess the thing that I just want to mention is our kind of um, our friend here on the podcast, um, Aaron uh, Tenderlove Patterson. Um, his talk is on there, um, and it's just it's kind of crazy. It just kind of goes all over the place, but he digs into so many interesting things. Um, it's well worth watching. And you know, if you if you start thinking, oh, you know, this is kind of long. It's like a, a fifty minute you know talk um you know and he kind of like laughs all the time like even at things that aren't funny which is just kind of funny to watch in itself um but at about 42 minutes in i only know this because i've linked so many people to it in the last day um it goes absolutely insane basically like loads of people come on stage and there's like a big kind of like dance that's like led by aaron it's just really weird so um but really fun to watch and it seems to be like one of these best moments of rails comp ever kind of moments um but you need to watch the whole presentation don't just jump to that part like just watch the whole thing um it's just really fun so uh helps you feel like you're there a bit so that's the only thing i wanted to mention this week it's the only thing that i've watched and gone wow this is kind of a little bit crazy so uh yeah, definitely watch that. The uh, the O'Reilly videos on YouTube of RailsConf 2011. All right, cool. The Aaron video is the best one so far. I think it's really good. Nice. And and you mentioned the Ruby Heroes one, and and I actually got a mention on there from Greg, and and that made me feel good. So. That's right, you did. Yes. Anyway, um, James, your picks. My picks. So I'm going with two this time because. I want to recommend a non-code thing, and then I always feel guilty for recommending a non-code thing. So, um, so first non-code thing, if you guys don't know, the cool thing about having kids is then you get to play with child's toys again. Uh-huh. And uh, so I've been playing with Legos a bunch lately. And yes, my kid's like way too young for Legos, so it's only a you know excuse. But um, if you guys haven't done that in a while, it's actually kind of cool. Uh, some of the Lego sets that, that are out uh, are really pretty nifty. Like, for example, uh, my wife and I just got done putting together a 1,600-piece set of the Space Shuttle, uh, which, you know, since it's about to uh, uh, be a thing of the past, was kind of cool for us. And it's really detailed with, like, uh, you know, opening doors, got a satellite in it on an arm that comes out, and landing gear that come down, and the fuselage and the... Uh, booster rockets and separate and stuff so uh, Legos are pretty cool still uh, if you haven't uh, taken a look at them in a while um, and maybe worth seeing. My wife has this carousel that actually goes round and round and the horses go up and down and it plays music so all built out of Legos so uh, that's pretty cool stuff and then since I need to recommend something uh, a Cody to make myself feel okay uh, ERB right exactly ERB <laughs> um, yeah uh, we've talked a lot about uh, various screencasts and stuff, uh, and yet I, I think we have never mentioned Peep Code, which is like horrible, uh, because Peep Code is awesome. Um, they have some really great screencasts on there. Um, some of my favorites lately, um, the Postgres SQL one on there is just awesome. Uh, that's very clever in that they totally skip all the easy stuff and grow, go straight to the really sexy stuff. So you're super hooked, like 15 minutes into it, and then you'll go figure everything out because they've just hooked you so good. So uh, that's a really great video. and would be an awesome warm-up for next week's episode. And then uh, the other uh, ones I've been watching on Peep Code are they have this play-by-play series where uh, Jeff just sits down with some uh, expert and, and gives them a little task, and they sit there and code it. 
And actually, the coding part isn't usually what's interesting. It's the comments and stuff they make along the way that uh, is the very interesting part. So I like watching those uh, as far as that goes. And peep code is just you know overflowing with useful screencasts. So uh, I definitely got to recommend peep code. And there's a CoffeeScript one just coming out as well. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and go next. Um, what my, I'm going to do a non-code-related one, and then I'll go ahead and do a code-related one. Um, my non-code-related one, uh, I'm really into, I really like uh, epic fantasy uh, and fantasy stuff. And uh, there is a podcast that I've been listening to that I've really just been enjoying. And uh, it's called The Secrets of the Hobbit. And it is done by, uh, it's actually done by a Catholic priest and another guy in California. And the the Catholic priest is actually in the Netherlands. So anyway, um, they, they talk about kind of an interesting mix between uh, news regarding the Hobbit movies that are coming out in the next couple of years and um, and the book. And so they, they discuss, okay, you know, we, we found out this about the movie and in the book it's this way and we have these things going on. And, you know, it's, it's really, really been fascinating uh, to see how that all works and... Uh, you know, you, you know, you hear news and you hear names of actors and stuff, and, and it's been kind of fun. So you find out that uh, Orlando Bloom's actually going to be in The Hobbit, and, you know, you find out that, you know, I haven't read the books in quite a while, so they talk about some things from the books, and it's, it's interesting, you know, to hear how uh, Bilbo found the ring in the first place and stuff. Um, and then my other pick is uh, I've actually, like I said two weeks ago, I switched off of... Uh, I switched off of Cucumber and started running just uh, regular Capybara in my test integration tests. And uh, there's a gem out there called Stake um, that sets all that up for you. And uh, it provides some context for RSpec and stuff. Um, the, the only problem I really have with it is that I want to try out Minitest a little bit more. And uh, Stake, from what I can tell, is RSpec only. But uh, it it looks like it's a really convenient way to set up your acceptance test to skip uh, all the garbage that you get with Cucumber and actually just get right into writing your tests in Ruby. Sure. So anyway, uh, those are my picks. Uh, Win, what do you have for us? Thunder in six. Thunder in six. <laughs> nice. Oklahoma City. That's right. I've got a couple of uh, code picks and then a non-code pick for you. So uh, I mentioned guard earlier. Uh, guard slash guard on the GitHub. This is like Watcher except uh, pure Ruby. Um, got back into this one a few weeks ago and was excited about it and uh, thought about writing a blog post. And then when I was Googling and realized I'd already written a blog post on this one. <laughs> I don't know if that ever happens to you, Peter. Um, but <laughs> what's old is, uh, is new again. So guard is... Um, exciting way for me to compile a lot of these uh, pre-compiled languages. Uh, The other one is TI. It's a new gem from uh, Robert Evans, aka over the Code Wranglers. Um, We're putting together some of the patterns we're using on some titanium projects, uh, extracting those out into uh, TI that allows you to generate a lot of these views, uh, complete with Jasmine specs and and some of that, and gives a more Ruby workflow to uh, dealing with uh, Titanium and Sports CoffeeScript uh, out of the box. Since you guys are doing non-code picks as well, I'll put in one. Um, have you guys seen the Cricut? Uh-uh. It's the, uh, it looks like a printer, except it cuts 
paper. My oh, wife I got one of those for my wife for Christmas. Yeah, she's yeah. Uh, doing all sorts of cutting with this thing. And what was driven me crazy to date is it was kind of like uh, the razor blade model, where you know the Cricut is really inexpensive, but then they charge you like. 90 bucks per cartridge that has fonts and symbols and things on it, right? Uh-huh. Um, I found this piece of software, and it's got the lamest name ever, but it's really, really cool. It's called Sure Cuts A Lot. But uh, it allows you to uh, hook up via USB to your Mac, and anything that you can save as an SVG, an Illustrator or other app, can now be print or you know cut on this, uh, this device, which is really cool. So it's a nice way to make uh, some... Irregular shaped stickers and and other things. It's nice to do something that uh, is not pixel driven, you know. Huh. It is cool. That, that sounds really nice. I I might yet be able to convince my wife that she likes Max. <laughs> <laughs> Keep wow. working on her. Yeah, I will. Um, just just don't show her Hamill. That runs people off. <laughs> oh. Like I said, stick to your CSVs and leave my Hamill alone. <laughs> hey, Chuck. Yes. I've got to say something really... I'm going to be that annoying guy now at this uh-huh. point. You know you mentioned um, steak? Yes. About a month ago, um, slightly blatantly, um, they added into Capybara pretty much the same stuff that steak does, directly into Capybara. Oh, so... Um, so you, it's, not been, it's not been sort of like... No one's made a massive fuss over it. I just kind of saw the commit. It was kind of like, we've added a whole DSL for doing acceptance testing. Um, and then just started using it. So I haven't actually... I should have done a blog post about this, I guess. Um, but yeah, there's some stuff in there to do that. Um, very similar to Steak. So I'd actually deleted all my... Moved all my stuff across from Steak just straight into Capybara now. So that may help you if you want to try and move over to Minitest. Okay. Um, so Could- yeah, I guess I need to blog about this. Yeah, one one thing that I I've because uh, most of my tests that I've been doing with just uh, RSpec and Copybara, you know, I just include Copybara slash Rails. I just require that in my spec helper, and that's about all it takes. Um, I, I think there were maybe one or two other little steps you had to install database cleaner or something, but yeah, you know, it. I don't know if if Stake takes care of some of that for you, but. Uh, you know, I've I've done it both ways, and Stake has a convenient little installer. So, uh, anyway, yeah, it, it that's something that's interesting to to know about. All right, well, I think we're done. I'm gonna go ahead and cue the music, and uh, you know, just thank you guys for coming out again. We have James Edward Gray from Gray Productions. Uh, what's your blog again? It's blog greatproductions.net .net. I can never remember .com or .net we have uh, Peter Cooper from Ruby Inside Rails Inside, Ruby Flow Coder.io, Ruby Weekly JavaScript Weekly and probably a dozen other things that I have forgotten I rule the world <laughs> and we have Win Netherland from the Changelog Podcast and uh, a whole bunch of other cool stuff in fact if you go and look at his projects page at Win Netherland dot com um it, it reads literally like ruby wrapper ruby wrapper ruby wrapper ruby wrapper something else ruby wrapper ruby wrapper <laughs> look at his github page it's scary oh yeah i bet that's worth looking at too but uh, anyway uh, thank you win for coming on the show My pleasure. Uh, you can get the show notes by going to ruby com, and uh, there's a link on the right where in itunes if you click on that link uh, it'll pull it up in iTunes. Please leave us a review and let us know what you think. You can also uh, 
email or tweet any of the panelists and uh, give us your feedback. And we are happy to have that and to uh, to take it into account. So uh, so anyway, uh, th- thanks everybody for coming on, and we will catch you next week. The babies.